Hi, I'm Amber Cook. Welcome to my podcast, The Dragonfly Connection. Join me every Wednesday for open, honest, and real conversations about change, transformation, and resilience to inspire and empower you. This episode is sponsored by HealingWays.com. Find verified wellness professionals and holistic health resources at HealingWays. That's HealingWaze.com. My guest and future road trip friend, Tracy Root, is a coach, a speaker, an educator, and founder of Gather, a community building space located in Santa Cruz, and now also online to serve everyone no matter where you are in the world. Her story is one of loss, love, rebuilding, courage, and finding ways to thrive in the midst of all kinds of adversity. Tracy ended her career in corporate America and found her new calling after her partner of almost 20 years passed away. Tracy and her two toddlers were left with no family nearby, a house underwater from the housing crisis of 2008, and she just couldn't see how anything was ever going to change. But then years later, through an unexpected avenue, she was able to find her way back to her former self, just one step at a time. That's it, every time, one step at a time. Tracy shifted her career to one of helping others at an even deeper level while making more time for her own fulfillment, adventure, family, and joy. In this conversation, we chat about wellness, goal setting, entrepreneurship, overcoming tragedy and loss, and about this last 18 months of pandemic life. This episode was recorded in May, and unfortunately, now at the end of August, not much has changed except kids are going back to school in most areas, but otherwise we're still in that place of confusion and uncertainty. I know I am. As you listen to this conversation, I hope it helps inspire you and bring you hope because I do know we will get through this. And if we let this challenging time strengthen and change us, we will be better for it. And like Tracy says, everything that happens in life is so we can be ready for what's next. So think about what's next for you. What does your life look like next week, next year, next five years? Keep the dreams, keep the hopes. Hang in there, friends. Be safe and well. Thank you for being with me today, Tracy. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so you and I met online, and later on we're going to talk more about this new online world, and it's, you've really found a way to make the most of it. But I like to start out my podcast now with some icebreaker questions. You and I have already warmed up. We've been talking about hair and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Um, But I have a few fun questions for you first, if you don't mind playing along. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. Fire away. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Silicon Valley. I grew up mostly in Cupertino. Um, I mean, I did move around a little bit. My, um, My parents got divorced when I was in fourth grade. And before that, my dad was in sales, semiconductor sales. So Mm. we started here in the Bay Area, San Jose, but he kept getting promoted, right? Because it was kind of the 80s, no, 70s. And every time he got promoted, right, we might get a new move to a bigger house or we moved actually to New York and back. And then when my parents split up, of course, we moved one more time because they sold that house. And, you know, I don't know, I was 10. I don't really remember Mm -hmm. the details, but I know we moved and he moved somewhere else too. And um, so five different elementary schools, but mostly here in the South Bay. So Cupertino, San Jose, Saratoga, those kinds oh, okay. of areas here in California. Through the journey, I ended up here in Santa Cruz, which is mm-hmm. where I live now with my second husband and our teenagers who just today had the last day of school because we're taping this here in, in taping. We're <laughs> recording here in May. That shows right? our age, right? I still say videotape. <laughs> Yeah, we're videoing, videotaping this. <laughs> videotaping. On A-track. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, they just finished high uh, One just finished sixth grade. One just finished ninth grade. So that's a very exciting day today. Yeah. Course, having fun without me. So I'm here with you. <laughs> well, congratulations. That, yeah, that hopefully last year of crazy, chaotic, whatever for school is over. Uh, We have 10 more days of school left for me and my fourth grader. And I'm just 
obviously yes. counting down the days. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, yeah, we definitely expect in the fall to be going back 100% full time as before, right? Yeah. In quotes. Um, that, that's the expectation at this point. Of course, we have to get through the summer before right. we get there, but that's, <laughs> and the timing, right? They changed our schedule just a couple of years ago. So we're so early now. We start August 11th. Wow. Which is so early. So anyway, it's it's kind of cool because here we are at the end of May and school's out. Yeah. And we actually head out next week to go visit my parents for a couple of weeks for the first time in 450 days. <laughs> you know, we have the opportunity to do that. So pretty cool. For like 35 years is what it felt like. <laughs> totally. Right. A week feels like a month, a month right. feels like a year, and a year felt like a decade. Right. <laughs> so you're getting ready to go on vacation, um, and that was going to be my next question. What's one of your favorite vacations that you have already taken? Oh, you know, we had the opportunity a few years back to road trip around the country. I love road tripping. I used to be in a performing group and or a couple of different groups through my teenagehood into when I was 21 or so. Mm -hmm. And part of that process is touring in buses around the country. And it's, you know, it's so formative to do those kinds of things when you're at that age, just like anyone who's in like dance competitions or anything like it really makes you become who you are. And I Mm -hmm. did that from, from seventh grade into college. So I love a good road trip, like put me in the car or in an RV or whatever. And I would, I'll go for however long. So a few years back, my husband had gotten laid off from a large company that he worked Mm -hmm. for and he got a really nice package as a result of the layoff. So he wasn't working and it was not a problem at that, you know, we're very lucky that way. So we had already planned to take a vacation to go visit my parents in Florida in that summer. And when he realized that he wasn't working and we could go longer, we decided to road trip it all the way. So we drove from here in Santa Cruz, California, south through like, New Mexico and Arizona, and we went to Carlsbad Caverns, drove through Texas, which took forever, (laughs) and um, we stopped in Louisiana, which is where my first husband's family lives, so there's grandparent and and aunts and uncles and cousins there of Mm -hmm. the kids, and then moved on to Florida, which is where my parents are, and we stayed there for four weeks. I had a conference at the same in Florida at the, during the same time. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a combo. I could write off the trip basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And then we went from Florida North. We went to Washington DC for several days. We went to New Jersey where my husband's brother lives and across to Philadelphia, Chicago, Mount Rushmore and South, South Dakota, which was interesting because that was the same weekend as the Sturgis motorcycle festival Mm -hmm. which we didn't know when we got there um and then through you know utah and through tahoe and home and it was a total seven to eight week trip nine thousand miles i think and it was just so much fun like i do it again in a heartbeat and i loved being able to take the kids at a young age to see all of these like national landmarks Mm -hmm. and different cities and going to washington dc i think we were there for three days it was fabulous Wonderful. Yeah, I definitely want to take a road trip like you described. Maybe not spend four weeks in Florida. I don't have family there. But but do I'm really into road trips myself. My husband, unfortunately, is not. So well, you and I have to go together. Right. So I'm like, I have a now I have another girlfriend because I just have like a couple that I'm like, you're my road trip buddies. So I have another one. Awesome. I love <laughs> because it. Because I, I, I love road tripping. It sounds like you have a beautiful life but it hasn't always been like that. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. Cancer has really affected your life. Yes. Not only your mom, but also your husband. Right. My first husband. Your first husband. Yeah. So, so tragic, so life-changing. And as someone who has also lost quite a few people to cancer, it's just terrible. Um, It's awful. Who who went first, your mom or your ex husband? My mom. First my mom husband. passed away. Let's see. I, I couldn't tell you the year, but I was 26. So okay. that was about 26 years ago, okay. which is really trippy, right? So A, I had like that milestone when I turned 51, which was the age she was when she died. Mm-hmm. And now I just realized I have this other milestone, which is basically that I've been alive probably without her than I have with her. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I was 26, and I don't know. It's close to that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So yeah, she was, I was 26. She was 51. So, you know, I know where I lived. I know where I worked and, and all of those things. I kind of forget the, the exact dates. It's kind of my, how my brain doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the crazy thing is when my husband, first husband, mm-hmm. started thinking, you know, that he needed to really take what was going on in his throat. Seriously, we thought it was tonsils for a long time. He'd go to the doctor. They gave him antibiotics. It was it would get better, mm-hmm. right? Because the antibiotics took care of whatever active infection was going right. on. Right, and took down the inflammation. Right, whatever inflammation mm-hmm. was going on. So it looked like it was better, but then it would get worse again. So we assumed that, you know, this was a tonsil adenoid situation. And I remember when he went to the doctor's appointment with the ENT to say, well, as long, you know, because he had basically a, a swollen like swollen tonsil, mm-hmm. right? Which was similar to the uh, what happened to my mom. It wasn't the same kind of cancer, but that was a similar presentation. Like exterior presentation was this big swollen kind of lymph nodes in her neck. Okay. And so I remember telling him, that's fine. Just as long as you don't come back and say it's cancer, it'll, it'll all be fine, right? And then, hello. So that was kind of bizarre yeah. to have experienced. But yeah, it was crazy. He had cancer in his tonsil is where it began. Mm -hmm. And um, he went through the full, you know, chemo, radiation, all the things. And it did get better. And in in the end, they went in surgery, surgically to try and take like a final biopsy to make sure everything was fine. And they're like, well, we'll just take it out while we're here, which is weird because they told us beforehand that they didn't want to take it out because the recovery from tonsillectomy is very difficult for adults. Okay. But I guess now that he'd been through chemo and radiation, how much harder can it be? Right. So, and it and it was gone. Like, it wasn't in his tonsil anymore. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, while they were focusing on this whole kind of neck, upper chest area, they didn't realize that it had spread. Yeah. And it presented in his lymph nodes and on his spine. And so the ones that were kind of in the center of his body ended up pushing against his esophagus. So what he thought was having difficulties with swallowing and digestion turned out to be new cancer tumors pushing on his stomach and Mm. so that the way that it presented was with digestion and swallowing in reality, it was cancer again. So that was about a year before he passed was that realization. And from that point forward, it was in his lungs like I said, as tumors on his mm-hmm. spine, like it was very much like this is palliative care from this point forward. Yeah. Meanwhile, our first child was three and mm-hmm. our second had just been born. Wow. It, was another, it was another one of those jokes where his initial diagnosis was right after our first kid was born. Mm-hmm. The second diagnosis was right after the second kid was born. So everyone's like, that's enough kids. <laughs> you don't need to have any more because every time you have a kid, you know, but of course we didn't make it that far. But yeah. The, the two that we had. And, yeah. Um, they were one and a half and almost four when he finally passed away. So hard. So sad. And how many years after your mom passed that he was diagnosed. Well, so, so I have to go by ages, right? So if I was 26 when she mm-hmm. passed away and I was 41 when he, so I was 36 when my son was born. So I would have been, okay. so it would have been 10 years apart. Okay. Wow. Now, even back after your, when your mom died, I'm sure that took some time to get through that tragedy and that healing well, journey. You know, or did, was I mean, it? Of course, there's yeah. always things. And, you know, it is interesting when you are present with someone with a long-term illness mm-hmm. because you go through that journey through the time. And in fact, I've talked to people who are dealing with people, you know, who have, maybe they have dementia or have some sort of illness where that person today isn't really the person they were a couple of years ago, yeah. right? They're down that road already. And you kind of go down the road with them to where by the time the road ends, you kind of know that it's over, right? Mm-hmm. And that, so like for my mom, I remember the night she passed, I was just like, it's okay. Like you can go. Mm-hmm. She was in so much pain. Yeah. Right. That I never, it never occurred to me to be like, no, mom, don't go. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because she was in so much pain. I just like, it's okay. We're going to be okay. Right. Yeah. We will live on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you for everything. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of gratitude for what we had as opposed to lamenting the now. Mm-hmm. 
so Paul, my first husband and I mm-hmm. were still, we're already together at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was working full time. I had finished college. And so I was like moving on mm-hmm. doing my life, right? Yeah. I was in my career and with my partner. And so I'm sure it was hard. Yeah. The other thing about grief, and this is something that I'm always kind of trying to explain to people why my memory isn't very good about it mm-hmm. is that it's a real like fog is a thing, right? It is. Yeah. Um, I really don't remember a lot of details immediately following. I do remember that my mom wanted to be cremated and we worked with the Neptune society for that, mm-hmm. which meant we went out on a big boat sailboat in Monterey Bay to dispose of her ashes, which were actually in a little like metal box. Mm-hmm. And you just took the whole box in the water. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like a ashes in the wind. Yeah, yeah. Thing. It was like, take this container and drop it in the bay. And I remember being on the boat and I remember holding the box and feeling like this is my responsibility. I'm the oldest, the oldest daughter. This is my job. Right. Mm-hmm. So I felt very like attached to the process and the ceremony of it all. But at the same time, I'm terrible on boats. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm there with Paul and my family and my stepdad and my sister and I don't have any idea who else was there. Hurling over the side of the boat, (laughs) holding onto this box, you know, and just waiting for the time to come where they're like, okay, you can let it go now. And then let it go. And I probably kept puking. I don't know. So, you know, it's, it's funny to think of that because it's a memory that's yeah. like, it's, it's life. part of the journey. It's yeah. yeah. It's all part of it. And yeah. what I'm excited to say about that is I actually can handle boats now. So now I can go out on the bank. Oh, mom. Yeah. Hi mom. Like, you know, yeah. there's no grade marker. There's anything, anything. If I want to visit my mom, mm-hmm. I go to the ocean. Yeah. So that's fabulous. Right. Same with me. Yeah. So I find yeah. myself, I go to my, my mom and my stepmom were both, they were scattered, which man, I don't, we didn't have the box option. <laughs> I don't know. But, that, I've never heard of so that. Cool. Otherwise I just, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe it wasn't her ashes in the box. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'm wrong. I have no idea. See, that's the memory. Um, when you're going through grief, like you said, it's just very yeah. easy, but yeah, I do the same. I go, I go to the beach. Whenever I go to the beach, I feel connected to both my mom and my stepmom yep. for the same reason. It's awesome. So you, you made it through the loss of your mom and you kept going and you're, and you hadn't had children yet. And you and, were, and I should say also that I have a fabulous stepmom who, nice. who's, you know, been with my dad since I was 12. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're obviously very in very part of much part of our lives. So mm-hmm. I still have that mom figure, you know, the only really big sad thing about it is, you know, once I did start our family and, you know, my grandkids, like not only never knew, never really knew her, but never met her. There's no pictures. Like there's mm-hmm. just so long ago. So that's like the one sad thing that I think carries on now. It's like, I wish that they had her in their life. Yeah. Because she was awesome. And, you know, and that's that is the hard probably part. the biggest reason why I miss her. Yeah, that that is really hard for sure. Yeah, my daughter goes through the same thing because she was a year, a little over a year when both of them died. And I was very close to my stepmom as well. So, yeah, same. I always, she's like, I really wish I would have known my grandmas. I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah. It's hard. But you've survived and you moved on and through your life and you started a career. Tell me about you and your life and your career yeah. and your relationship before the diagnosis with your husband, yeah. with your, well, so Paul and I met, um, gosh, I was, you know, I was 22. So I was still kind of figuring out my way through college. I was on the nine year plan. Um, you know, I, I was a performer, so I did, took a lot of art classes and dance classes. And then I finally had to kind of get myself around, like, what do I even want to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And, um, someone suggested to me, Hey, you, you always talk about like liking the interior design what if you went to school for interior design and I said well that's a good idea I'll do that right I had no idea what I wanted to do and I had no real calling to do anything specific and and it was artistic and creative and and was a job not like artist right Mm -hmm. plus I was never like the design part was never my strength 
I was a great project manager. Like my mind works very strategically and very um, structurally. So Mm. I turned from my interior design degree, I went into facilities, space planning and project management. Mm -hmm. So I worked with all of the creatives, the architects and the designers and the furniture, you know, choosers and stuff, but I helped them implement, right? I managed Mm -hmm. the projects and the schedules and the budgets and the signage and the artwork installations and all the kind of extra things related to the interior while I wasn't actually designing it myself. So I was really, really good at that. I did that for 17 years. In fact, I, and I, like I said, I was really good at my job. Mm -hmm. A big part of what I did was, was keeping track of where everybody sat at these large campuses, moving, moving departments around and stuff making sure they have what they need to, to do their work mm-hmm. so they can make a paycheck to take home to their families. And, you know, everyone was kind of in support of this bigger picture of, you know, I'm supporting my family, but yet I'm supporting their work so that they can support their families mm-hmm. so that the business can grow. And so it felt very good. And I got, I worked for a consulting companies. So it had a lot of opportunity to work for lots of different companies. And this was mm-hmm. all during the dot-com bubble and burst mm-hmm. so lots of growth yeah and lots of shrinkage yeah right yeah opening new offices closing those offices companies merging and breaking up mm-hmm. and all kinds of things. so there's a lot of work kind of coinciding with when paul passed away the economy was kind of dying out too right mm-hmm. that was when the big housing crisis happened in 2008 Eight, mm-hmm. six, somewhere in that neighborhood. Right? I think 2008, or maybe it was still affecting us in 2008, and maybe it was 2006. But yeah, right yeah, around that time, it was late, crazy. Yeah, which was, you know, like my kids were born in 06 and 08. Okay. All passed in 2010. And by 2010, 2011, 12, right, kind of coming through after his passing and being in that survival mode afterwards. Mm hmm. Work got very kind of flat. There wasn't a lot going on. Mm -hmm. And while I had a lot of value in the job that I was in, it wasn't very exciting anymore. It was just kind of go there every day and do the thing. And I started to look at like, what is this going to look like in five years, in 10 years? Will I be at this account? Probably not. But I can't really move up any further because I don't have the flexibility of doing weekend jobs anymore or mm-hmm. doing, you know, um, sales things with potential clients like in the evening. Yeah. Know. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, okay. Your life after Paul passed. Yeah. You were all of a sudden a, a widow, single mom of toddlers. And I understand you were having some issues with your house and your well, I got robbed. <laughs> okay, <laughs> a couple of times. Oh my gosh! Okay, so after he passed away, um, so I lived in the mountains, right? Okay. We had about thirteen acres, probably about four acres inside our big deer fence that mm-hmm. we had built. This beautiful place, redwoods, orchard, so fabulous. Um, it was our dream place. Mm-hmm. Like, we just loved it up there. But he, as the, the guy who was going to be the stay-at-home dad, you know, I was the breadwinner. Right? Okay. Okay. Career, corporate, doing the job all day long. Mm-hmm. And he stayed at home. He's going to be the stay-at-home dad. He was like the guy who grew up in the country. He grew mm-hmm. up in, in New Orleans. So he was like the hunting and fishing kind of guy. And he loved being outside and, and dealing with the property and the orchard and trying to get these the black, blackberry bushes to actually produce berries and like all this good stuff. And, and he loved taking care of me. He was uh-huh. wonderful, right? He cooked me dinner every night. Like when I come home from work, like life, life was good. We had a good kind of plan. Yeah. Um, so when he passed away, you know, living on that property was very hard for me as a single mom. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the big things that happened was we had a summer power outage in July that year and my had been robbed. My generator had been stolen. Oh my gosh. From the landscapers that I had hired to deal with the yard. So, wow. you know, it was already kind of this hard thing was starting to, to multiply. So I hired someone to deal, deal with the yard and the trees, cut the grass. Meanwhile, they left and they took my lawnmower and my generator with them. Ugh. So we had this power outage and I, we had no power and I've got two little kids and me in the middle of basically nowhere, mm-hmm. you know, 
10 minutes from civilization, civilization, which is mountain civilization mm-hmm. and no power. And so that was kind of where I was just like, you know what, if this happens in the winter, I can't handle it. Right. I, I just can't like when, when it happened in the winter, when he was alive, he would be the one up putting gas in the generator overnight, making sure that we had heat mm-hmm. fire going, you know, all that stuff. And I knew yeah. that if once the winter came, there was no way I was going to be able to do that. And take care of the kids and work all day. And, uh-huh. and, 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 yeah. So you must've had to just, I mean, you were working a ton and then your kids were in daycare. Yeah. Ton, when I went to work, they were, they had a fabulous daycare place that they yeah. went to from a very, very young age. Um, that was, you know, a huge support and blessing for yeah. my life. But just looking at the future and saying, there's no way I can handle this going forward. So I decided that I was going to sell the house, mm-hmm. but we were totally underwater. Because of the housing crisis. Yes. So, um, so I said, okay, well, I can't like handle like losing all of that. So mm-hmm. I'll stick a little while longer. And then we got robbed again because, uh, you know, we had put the house on the market to take a look at what was possible. And then there was a rash of burglaries targeting houses that were for sale that had long driveways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because this is the internet age, right? You can look on Google Maps and recognize that no one's going to see a car driving down yeah. that house yeah. at any time during the day. They came the night before to scope it out. And I know that in hindsight, thankfully, they were just scoping things out because the next day when we came home from work, our gate was open and the house had been robbed. And they took all the things, all my jewelry, computer. Wow. So all your things of value How much is the value yeah you know um and lots of things that were sentimental in mm-hmm. that they took an envelope that appeared to have like paperwork and stuff but it actually had condolence cards in it from paul's thankfully they didn't kill my dog when my dog was still there that's good right one positive in the door. he was old mm-hmm. and deaf and <laughs> So they probably was just like, oh, people. Right. I was like, uh, that served yeah. him well then. <laughs> but, and, you know, and because we were in the mountains, I had mm-hmm. a, a gun in mm-hmm. the drawer that they took. Right. So, yay, great. Cribble's got another gun. That was one of Paul's from back home kind of thing. And, you know, so and they took my laptop and, you know, all the jewelry and ring of my mom's that I cherished and my a couple of things that my dad had given me as a teenager, a couple of rings. Yeah had from him thankfully i still had my wedding band on so i didn't lose that yeah Um, but lots of very sentimental and some valuable stuff and so i was just like well that's it (laughs) right like i can't i know i can't handle the winter and i just got robbed like i'm out Mm -hmm. so i worked with a realtor and we short sold the house and we moved off the mountain and went and rented a place for the you know to just get out of the mountains and we moved into town where i knew how to live right it's where i grew up in the suburbs and closer to work closer to daycare closer to resources closer to people Mm -hmm. and um that sounds really hard i mean i was a, a single mom for 13 years, but I also was not a widow at the same time. So I can sort of imagine like how busy you were, but then you were also dealing with the grief still. Were you just like working through the grief? Like, I mean, as far as like just going to work, going about your career. (laughs) Yeah. Just like take the kids to daycare. I think I went back to work within a week. Yeah. Returning from the, because we had two funerals, one here in California at our local church and one in Louisiana because he's buried in his family crypt. Mm, okay. Um, so we had the final. So uh, there was a big to do and then you just went right to work. And then, yeah, I came home and within several days I went back to work because what else am I going to do? Sit around? Right, right. right. It's not deal with your emotions. I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, who wants to do yeah, that? I, don't, I, I didn't mean, do that very well back then. <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> then you learned. Like <laughs> no. So eventually, though, you probably did have to deal with. Well, yeah. Paper so, stuff. you know, really. So the way the road kind of started was that I about a year and a half later, I was just like, you know what? I'm the only one here that these kids have. There's no dad. Mm-hmm. We don't have any family nearby. I've only got a couple of friends. And so if anything's going to change, like what does the future hold five years, 10 years, they're going to start school soon. And then they're going to be in school and having gone like as a kid, I went to, like I said, five elementary schools and moved around a little bit between 
young age in sixth grade. And, and I think that was fine. But at a certain point, you know, they will thrive with more stability. So if we were going to make some changes, now is the time to change mm-hmm. because it's early enough that they're super resilient because they're little. Mm-hmm. So I just said, you know, if anything's going to change, I'm going to have to just start where I can start because maybe I'll move, but I don't know what I'll do. And so I started thinking about if I moved to Florida to live by my parents, what would I do? What would my job, would I start a company? Would I work for a different company? Would I do what I'm doing now? Would I do, maybe would I buy a franchise? Like all these questions, what could I do? I had really kind of all options available if I moved from California to Florida. And I decided that the first place I was going to start was by allowing myself some time to address myself, which after having two kids and gone through all of this, the one thing that was blatantly obvious is that I was very overweight, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I clearly hadn't been taking care of myself. I hadn't been, and I was, before my first son was born, I was a 20 year smoker and I lived, I hadn't smoked since then, but I lived on Diet Coke and Starbucks and junk food. And, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as they would go to bed at night after our long, double long days, I would, uh, you know, just start drinking wine and eating junk food to mm-hmm. medicate myself from the end of the day till I went to sleep. Yeah. And the next day I'd do it all again. Right. So I was like, all right, well, I need to make some changes. I'm going to start with what I can see in the mirror, which is this shape and this situation. Like I want something different. Mm-hmm. So I found a program actually just by Googling like medical weight loss. I had a friend who had done some program with a doctor's office. And I was like, well, I can never do that because I can't get there like right. regularly every week because I got two little kids and I get a job. And I found this program that had been developed by physicians that was used in all these hospitals and stuff. And I was like, well, I'll do that. I'll give it a shot. I'll try it for a month and see what happens. And in the month I'd lost 12 pounds and it was super easy. So I kept going. And in the end that summer, I lost 55 pounds. The program, right, was not only the nutritional component, but it was also um, the educational component of learning how to replace habits and a community, mostly online. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if you wanted to meet up in person, there were opportunities sometimes. And I was big into social media already, even though it was only 2012. Mm -hmm. I was an early adopter of Facebook because I had been teaching high schoolers. And so they were all in it. So I was in it. But I also had a coach, someone who kind of explained the program to me and helped me understand kind of Mm -hmm. some of the mental components. So because I had a coach, this the whole way the program works is let's pay it forward, right? Someone helped you, you can help the next person, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, I worked in an office where I had probably a thousand people that I knew by name who all saw me shrink 55 Mm -hmm. pounds in five months. Yeah. Some people thought I was sick because who loses 55 pounds in five months if you don't have cancer? Right. right? Which was a little ironic. Uh Uh-huh. I said, no, I'm not sick. In fact, I'm healthier than ever. So I learned how to start helping people with that health program, which started me understanding the world of coaching, Mm, the world of personal and professional development in that way. It was a great place to start. And in fact, I still coach that program to this day. I just started a new client yesterday. But the, the health part isn't my primary focus anymore because what I learned was that really what changed in me was my ability to see what was possible for myself and to make the effort because it's worth it, right? And to get guidance and to learn how to put structure around things that I never cared if they had structure before, Mm -hmm. you know, I would just go with the flow. That's one of my kind of ongoing battles is how do I put a framework around things that would be better if I did, as opposed to just kind of going with the flow. Mm -hmm. So I started coaching in 2012 and I realized that, the way that I had had built that up in my spare time while I was still working full time, mm-hmm. I was able to see how, based on the difference between Silicon Valley and Florida, how as soon as I went from here to here to here, I could move to Florida. And so that December, I left my job and I moved to Florida. Oh, you did move to Florida. Okay. okay. We were only and- there for eight months. So I kind of uh-huh. call it like, a vacation where we took all our stuff uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> because I did take the car and the sofa and all the things, uh-huh. all the furniture. Um, but what happened, one of my, those couple of friends that I mentioned mm-hmm. is the man who's now my husband. 
<laughs> we have known each other now for 33 years. We've been friends the whole time. Uh-huh. And so the day that I left for Florida, we kind of looked at each other and went, this is a problem. <laughs> so were well, you already we're, dating at that point? Well, I mean, we were friends the whole time. We hang yeah. out all the time. He helped me pack to move, right? Yeah. That's what really good. I mean, we're like best friends. We weren't dating because we've yeah. known each other. But that's true. So, but like the romantic sparks were starting to fly and just starting okay. and right before we left. It was just like, Oh, and so for the next six months, um, we did kind of the long distance thing. He coincidentally had already had a trip planned to visit his brother in New Jersey. And I was like, well, you're going to be on the East coast. So come say hi. And he did. And then that was, so that was like, was that January? That must've been in January. And then in February, he came out for Valentine's day. And then we planned a trip back to California in June um, to go tourist California, right. Mm -hmm. To go back to California to do the, to go to the boardwalk here in Santa Cruz and do kind of this, the tourist stuff that, you know, for fun. You don't do if you live there. So yeah. Right. (laughs) And, and we, so we came for a couple of weeks and by the time those two weeks ended, we were engaged. And, uh, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Like the day or two days before we left, we like got engaged. The next day we went ring shopping and I picked out my ring. And then the next day we flew back to Florida and made a plan to, uh-huh. you know, I had moved the kids in December from California to Florida. So I split their school year. My son was in first grade. He was having a pretty rough time with all of that. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, I don't want to split their school year anymore. So we got to yeah. get here before school starts. So we ended up, I think, flying back. I want to say July 1st. And we moved back to California on August 10th. And here we are. That was 2013. We got married December 1st, 2013. And that's not the ending of your story, but that's a beautiful series chapter. of events. Chapter. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, know what's <laughs> I know. I was like, uh, something. Something that happens in a timeline. Yeah, so beautiful. So awesome. And I just love that after everything you went through, you were still able to pick up and love again and still have ambition, still want to make changes in your career. So yeah, what were you doing when you moved back to California? Where did you have a job at that point? Had you already started coaching? I mean, I've just been coaching the whole time. When I left to move to Florida, the whole point was to be able to spend time with the kids, right? Mm -hmm. To work for myself. My job is coaching. I work, I am a self-employed person yeah and I therefore can go in the classroom or go on field trips and my parents were there so we had support in that way too Mm -hmm. right so it was the beginning of figuring out how to be a business owner how to work for myself and manage my own schedule and manage client list and and Mm -hmm. all those things where really I had been it was more of a side thing before I made that transition and it was one of those things people are always like how do you make that change from your corporate job to your working for yourself. And I'm like, well, you know, I can tell you my path. I don't know that it's necessarily the recommend recommendation out there because they probably jumped faster than, um, than I like psychologically was ready for. Yeah. I didn't really know how to work for myself long-term, but I'm very, um, but I'm very efficient and I have a lot of energy you know, I was working full time and coaching on the side and the amount that I was making from coaching already was enough for Florida. Mm-hmm. And I was working lunchtime nights and weekends. Yeah. So I knew that if given the whole day and night scenario on my own, I knew that it would be fine. I just mm-hmm. knew. Yeah. What I didn't know is, you know, the fact that, that you get tired when you work for yourself and sometimes you procrastinate and, <laughs> and sometimes it's harder than you think, right? Yeah, but, most but of the time. it was definitely, <laughs> but I knew that I was, I'm not the kind to give up on stuff mm-hmm. like that. And when I moved back to California, my old boss and my old client both contacted me relatively quickly. Are you sure you don't want to come and do a project? Just a little bit, just part-time, just yeah. one project. I'm like, no, they do not want to commute in that. Um, and I really needed to just put that boundary in mm-hmm. place because I knew if I started, I would not be happy. And in fact, it's funny. I helped a friend do an office layout. They were moving their office just last year. I was like, sure, I'll, you know, I'll draw it out for you. I'll come. It'll be fun. Not fun. <laughs> Did not like so it. It reminded you that it was a good oh choice. Oh my gosh, yes. 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 And it's my pleasure to help my friend yeah. in her office, but I did not enjoy the process. Yeah. But, um, and I already knew that there was no way I wanted to go back to having to get up at a certain time in the morning and having to commute and having to 
to have a schedule that's not up to me. Right. I will do anything and everything to never go back to working for something. Yeah. I mean, I'm very blessed that Tim is great and he makes money. So, you know, we're in a very good place. So back when you moved back and you were already coaching, were you doing life coaching? Is that what you were doing? Or were you yeah, still coaching? Yeah, so when I started as a health program? coach, right, yeah. I really saw that I what I really loved was seeing the mental mm-hmm. and emotional transformation that allowed them to have physical success. Yeah. So when I got here to Santa Cruz, you know, I really kind of stayed in that same place and started to get my feet wet with like networking and kind of expanding my view of what this business could be as I met more people in that were self-employed, right? Mm-hmm. Because I came from that corporate world. I didn't really know a lot of self-employed people. Yeah. So it, that was a process. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I love helping people with their health, but I really love like events and like going networking and being at conferences and all of that. And so I wanted to be able to bring that fun of community to my clients. So I started mm-hmm. off with like trying to have kind of health coaching party type events, right? Like healthy, happy hours, things uh-huh. like that. I also started doing like vision board workshops. I was really drawn to that kind of work because that's the artist's background in me to do things like that. And so that kind of started me down the road of creating things in the coaching realm that were outside of the health coaching Mm -hmm. kind of box that I had started off in. Shortly after that, when I started doing more kind of outside events like that, I started realizing that, hmm, I love being in the group and leading the group and doing all this kind of larger quantity of people activity. It's very hard to find a place here in Santa Cruz to be able to do that. It's quite um, expensive as well. It's, it's a little expensive, especially yeah. if you're like, you know, because there were a lot of options, right? The less expensive options were things like the community center where it kind of looks like the middle school gymnasium. <laughs> yeah. Bad linoleum you know, warm wood trim, you know what I mean, right? Everyone can picture their middle school, very white and beige. You know, there's those kinds of rooms. There's also like here in town, there's a lot of yoga in Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. And so there's like old buildings that have been renovated and they hold lots of yoga classes and they have beautiful light and great wood floors, like an old church and things like that. But they were so booked up. They were very hard to get in because all those things were like every week or three times a week. And so they took a lot of the spots. Or you're talking about things like the room at the restaurant, mm-hmm. at the pizza place. Yeah. <laughs> or, right? Or in hotels. And the hotels got very expensive because they wanted you mm-hmm. to use catering. And the restaurants, like, didn't resonate with my health coach background. Yeah. Like, I didn't want to have to order pizza in order to have a meeting. It, not, it wasn't on brand. It wasn't yeah. the right vibe. All of that. Yeah. I said, well, what if I created my own space? I know how to make spaces. I did it for decades, right? Mm -hmm. I have a history in interior design and project management, and then I'll have a place of my own and I can Mm -hmm. do my own things and I can rent it out to other people who want to do their own things. I started that process in in early 2019 Mm -hmm. and learned about commercial real estate and all kinds of things. And ultimately, we opened Gather here in downtown Santa Cruz um, in October of 2019. And then five months later, yes. But oh my gosh! Is, yeah, you know the the like the the real reason why for all of that was about building community mm-hmm. and helping people bring their people together and sharing their amazing gifts or stories or knowledge or tips or fun mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. And so when the pandemic hit, we actually very easily shifted to supporting people with their online events and we've been doing that for a good solid year plus now Mm -hmm. and it's not slowing down it's been fantastic so fun we're able to reach people far outside Santa Cruz City. Yes. And now as we are looking at reopening the space right now Mm -hmm. we get to know that basically we've got two legs of this business one is the larger community Mm -hmm. that is national global really our last event we had people from other countries Mm -hmm. online so that was very exciting and then you have local Um, and that the the big events like would never fit in the room either right even if everyone traveled here it would be too big Uh so now we've got a room that's perfect for masterminds and 
intensives and things like that mm-hmm. where people could come here, which was kind of the, the original dream anyway, come here as a destination and bring, you know, this, this package that you want to share with people, bring it and bring them and enjoy Santa Cruz and enjoy the space. And, you know, we're here to serve that, that mission of helping them to bring what they have out to the people that they're sharing it with. So. And when do you get to reopen? California, we believe, is going to basically remove all restrictions come June 15th. June 15th, okay. So, you know, I don't know 100% that that's true. That's yeah. supposedly the, the deal. Um, and I think at our level in quantities and stuff, that's yeah. probably what's going to happen. I think this year, if it hasn't taught us anything else other than you have to just be flexible. Totally. <laughs> and, and just exactly how you answered it. Well, they say this, but I'm kind of waiting to see it before I believe yeah. it. <laughs> and it's not that I'm, and it's not that even that I'm skeptical. It's that, you know, things change. Exactly. And, yeah. and I'm not going to be all, well, wah, if, if something changes. Yeah. So that's what, so that's what happens in life. Uh-huh. Things change. It, right. So you can true. go all the way back to, you know, my parents getting divorced when I was 10 uh-huh. and know that everything that happens in life is all so that we can be ready for what's next. Yes. And as long as we can see that gift mm-hmm. that we're given to be able to handle what's next based on what happened to us already, then we don't have to be sad ongoing, right? Like the remembering how hard it was when my mom died. I have, I really don't know. You know, I, I managed it and I dealt with it to an extent. And same thing when Paul died, I managed it, dealt with it to an extent and went on what was next. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's really the the gist of coaching too. Right. Yeah. As opposed to therapy. Yeah. I'm not looking for the origin of why did things happen? Why does it have to be this way? I want to figure out what can I do to continue going forward. And that's so, what you help people do. I, as, right. If I understand correctly, live more, you know, fulfilling, joyful lives to live their bold life. Yes. And that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Because we often will just hold ourselves back mm-hmm. because we don't know what to expect. Yes. Right? And that's kind of exactly what I'm saying, right? That, so when we don't know what to expect, if we allow ourselves to just wait and see without saying, and whatever it is, that'll be fine. Mm-hmm. We'll go forward from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay Speak- if we don't know what's coming, but yes. if we allow ourselves to stay where we are because of fear of not knowing what's coming, that's called being stuck. Mm-hmm. You miss out on so much when you do that. And it's um, okay if there's a period, right? We all have seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, eventually you get to the point where it's just like, oh, I'm really stuck. Yeah. And like I really you said, I don't know what to do. And that's when it's time to go. Yeah. You can't stay there forever. So, so many people this year, especially us parents, parents, especially, uh, including me, are still feeling kind of lost in ways and ungrounded for all mm-hmm. the things that you know, we mentioned throughout about this, this last year, what are some things that you would recommend to help us get grounded, refocused Yeah, as we're all starting to reemerge from this collective trauma and move, like you said, and move forward and move forward. Well, you know, I think that really in the end, it comes down to realizing that it's totally normal and you don't have to live there. Right. That if there's something a way that you want to change things, you can, mm-hmm. right? I teach a lot about goal setting and, um, and really like, like big goals, like big dream type stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us are afraid to speak those dreams because we feel like we, it doesn't, it's dumb or it doesn't make sense. I yeah. can't have that. It's too big. And, you know, I'm here to tell you that you can, <laughs> like that's and it's just, not too big. It's not too big. Yeah. And, you know, and big stuff takes longer to get there, but you can still start. Yes. And, yeah, and maybe you'll get halfway there and realize it's not really what you wanted. And that's okay, too, because look how far you came to get to that decision. It's time to, to recalibrate. That's totally fine. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of times we hold ourselves back because we see that big thing and it's like, I can't have it. And really... I'm not good enough for it. 
or I'm not worthy of mm-hmm. having that dream. And yeah. that I think is the bottom line. I even have this written on my wall because this is where I was like a year and a half ago. Like I am worthy of the dreams I dream. Yeah. And so is everyone else, right? If it's put in you, you are allowed to dream it and you're allowed to want it and do not feel like you shouldn't, which I don't like that word, right? The should word mm-hmm. because who says, right? You can, and if you don't know how, to get there, well, that's just asking for help, mm-hmm. right? Which is another hard thing for a lot of people. It but, is. but we have to do it. We have yeah. to ask for help. We are designed as humans to be with other people and to work together as a community. Mm-hmm. And yeah, true. if we think we have to do it all ourselves, we are wrong. And that is fear talking. Yes. Right? Agreed. Fear of embarrassment or judgment mm-hmm. or all the all the mints apparently <laughs> um, <laughs> right yes yeah. because we judge ourselves for it yeah we're not being good enough or not having not knowing how to do things it's like yeah you can hear and read about these things in all the books and all the podcasts and all the videos but in the end if you have someone that you can trust to like talk about it with you can start Yes. That's why I love coaching Mm -hmm. because I like to be the person who hears the other person speak their dream and lift them up because it's easy to forget when you're Mm -hmm. in a darker place. It's easy to forget that it is is something that you wanted and it's easy to tell yourself, I didn't really want that. Yeah. But that's just the story that we're making up in our heads. So one last question before we say goodbye. Um, Besides reopening the in-person gather community, What else is coming up for you? Right. So we just finished our first of two of the year full day speaker events. We called it the Gather Spring Showcase. That was in early May. We are going to have another one in December. And basically, it's a full day speaker event. It's probably going to be even more than that now as we grow it, right? It's hard to keep it all in just Mm -hmm. a day. So I'm really looking forward to that because we just did a debrief on the May event. We're looking at, you know, how are we going to upgrade again this next time? We doubled our our um, registrations from last December to May. What can we do from May to December mm-hmm. to really grow the community and help our members and our speakers and everyone get out to more people and get more people getting to have the fabulous value of all of our people? So really excited about that. That'll be December 10th. The mm-hmm. date's already in place. Well, I have a new group program starting um, just in a couple weeks from airtime here. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. That's called Be Bolder and Brighter. And it's all about helping people start, you know, toward that goal. Three month yeah. program. So super excited about that. Um, so my kids will be starting school. So yes. that'll be a big thing. <laughs> yes. um, in person, live yep. mm-hmm. with classmates. So that'll yep. be exciting. Be dropping them off. They'll be gone for the whole day. No, they're, t- they're on their own feet, man. They're going to be seventh and 10th grade. They're getting themselves to school. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I dream of that day when I get to drop my da- daughter off to school. And, and travel. We'll travel is the yes. other thing. Yes. <laughs> There's a great book called by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. And that is a definite mantra. And it's an excellent book. He's an amazing author. Ryan Holiday, you got to check him out. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's because it's true. Like, if there's an obstacle, that's like the universe going, you sure you really want this? Like, you got to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, just keep going. Nice. I love it. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's been awesome chatting with you. And if we end up going on a road trip together someday, we'll document it. (laughs) So fun. Yes. I would love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Our stories may be different, but we all have one thing in common. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate life on this planet. And none of us have it completely figured out. No matter what you're going through in your life, just know that you are never really alone. Come back every Wednesday for more inspiration and connection and follow me on Instagram at the dragonflymama.com so we can stay in touch between episodes. Take care.